Well, good morning. How you doing, brother? Good morning. Doing well, sir. How are you this morning? Doing good. Traffic seems to be cooperating this morning. Uh, headed from Fort Worth, Texas, over to Irving, uh, right by the airport. And so I'll be working from there today. But a beautiful day. Yeah. Nothing but sunshine. Good Texas sunshine. So looking forward to it. Well, yeah, we want to jump right in and um, touch base. We we noticed that there's some more listeners out there. Uh, people actually tuning in and, and checking out um, what we're we're sharing on a regular basis, and we're definitely excited to hear that. We want to make sure that you know we're going to come on a regular basis, uh, bringing you guys something fresh and, and new uh, on a weekly basis. So again, we appreciate you listening, and um, I wanted to jump in and just talk a little bit today about presence. Uh, the presence of God and what that looks like in our daily lives and how <clears throat> how God's presence, what, what's the promises, what are the promises behind God's presence and, and how it manifests in our lives. And it's something that we were kind of hashing out a little bit before we got on the call and we figured it was something that uh, you guys might be interested in hearing about. So, brother, um, what do you have? Well, I think one of the things we were talking about earlier was sometimes we kind of get in a little bit of a funk because we see peaks and valleys in our life. And we sometimes will allow those peaks and those valleys to almost discourage us. I mean, I mean, I know you've had those moments. I've had those moments. But one of the things that I've come to realize, and it, I'm not going to say that I've arrived, but Many times we get so focused on those peaks and valleys that we miss it. But the thing I've realized in my walk, and as I've studied and I've spent time in the Word, is there is nowhere in the Word of God that says we're supposed to have high times and low times. Mm -hmm. It says that He will be with us always, that He will never leave us nor forsake us. It does say that we'll have struggles and tribulations and trials, but it never says that he will depart. It never says that he will withdraw. It never says that we will have a lack. So I think what the, the main problem is, is we ourselves become unaware of his presence. We ourselves allow ourselves to become distracted, not allowing ourselves to stay in tune with him. Good. I mean, I love Bill Johnson's example. He talks about abiding in the presence of God. And he talks about the... And we all know doves are some of the most sensitive birds on this planet. You barely sneeze near them, and they they shoot for the moon. Mm. They will run faster than just about anything. So if you take the Holy Spirit as like a dove, because we see him in the Word of God with the example of the dove coming down and resting on Jesus and remaining there, right? Well, if we take into account that the Holy Spirit is the dove and we want him to remain on our shoulder, how do we get him to stay on our shoulder? Every action that we take has to be with that dove in mind. Now, I wish I came up with that example, but Bill Johnson 
he came up with that example, and that is about the best example I've heard of how we maintain close proximity to the presence of God. Because it's not about him getting closer, it's about us remaining where he said he's already at. Yeah. About us being aware of the presence that already exists with us. That's good. That's real good. You know, I think there's a a lot to unpack in what you just said. Uh, There's there's this concept of the presence of God being a, a tangible presence of God, which is a reality that there's certain times to where you feel the goosebumps, if you will. You feel God's presence, and it's rich. There's nothing like it. There's no high out there that's like the presence of God. There's no, you can compare it to any any drug high or any high that you can get from life. There's nothing that compares to God's presence. You know, it's like David said, he's like, you know, where am I going to go from your presence? And, you know, where am I going to flee from it? There's no, there's no place you can flee from God's presence. So there's this, he always wanted to be in God's, he talked about passing time in God's house, spending time in his house. He's really talking about that presence, that, that rich presence of God, that tangible presence of God. But there's also the presence of God in the sense that he'll never leave us and he'll never forsake us. You know, to say when we're going through the valley time that we necessarily feel that tangible presence of God may not be the case, you know, and in, I would venture to say that when Jesus was going through his suffering, he didn't necessarily feel the, the tingles and the goosebumps. It was painful. Come on. It, it, it was definitely a tough time. But at the same time, he had an awareness. He said, although all of you leave me, in front of his disciples, I know that I'm not alone. He had an awareness, and he kept this awareness that the Father was always with him. And so we have both the tangible presence of God and then the awareness that God never leaves us nor forsakes us. And I think that one of the things that I've learned and talk about not arriving, far from arrive, far from arrive, but one, one of the things that I'm still learning and I've learned since I was a baby Christian is that that tangible presence of God, although it's awesome and it feels great, you can't live there. Just like when you're dating, there's this, there's this, the tingles of being close to that person and and you feel like you can't eat unless you see that person or you get that infatuation stage almost. That's a great place to, to camp out for a little while, but you can't live there. Life has to happen. Reality has to set in. And I believe it's like that with the Lord. There's, there's times of respite where we get that, that beautiful, rich presence of God. And there's other times where we don't feel it. But the knowing and the maturity of knowing that he's always with us, he'll never leave us, nor forsake us, resting in that promise, I believe that's where he wants us to live. There you go, brother. I mean, I, I love the fact that you brought up both Christ and David. Let's talk about Jesus first. Jesus, man on earth, fully God, but fully man. I mean, there's a lot there. We're not going to even try to unpack all that today on this call. But the very fact that he himself had to remain in an attitude of awareness of the presence of his father is amazing. Because that is the first example we should look to. You know, he is our savior, number one. Number two, he is an example of what we're supposed to be here on earth. Now, Jesus, when he got weary 
when he started getting his focus off, what did he do? He would often withdraw by himself to the Garden of Bethany to pray and seek the Lord. So he would take times of rest in the Garden of Bethany by himself to seek out after God, to get with his Father, to commune with God, to refresh himself, to renew his strength. So even Jesus, our Lord and Savior, had to get to a point where he would regroup, refocus, reignite, and stir up those gifts that he was given by his Father. Come on, bro. Now, when we, when we go back to David, David, like you said, he was a man that sought after the presence of God. Yeah. And we see throughout his life that he was a righteous man. But then all of a sudden you see an instance where he goes off and he sees another man's wife looking yeah. from the rooftop. He goes yeah. and brings her to him, has an adulterous affair. And then when he gets found out, he has the man killed that's the husband of this woman. Wow. And then when he gets called out on it, Instead of reacting like most people, he repents and tries, and he goes and makes it right before the Lord. But the key here is when he was in the presence of God, he was not having these problems. When he was aware of the presence of God because of the stewardship that he would place on it, because of the value that he would place on it, he did not fall or succumb to these temptations like he did when he was following his own heart, following his own ways, when he allowed himself to get distracted. And that's what we as individuals in this day and age, and we have to keep focus on it. And I say this day and age because we almost think for some magical reason that because it was biblical days that they did not face the things that we face today. Mm-hmm. When in reality, in Jesus' day alone, he faced probably worse things, worse sins, than we even see publicly going on today in our day and age. Yet we want to focus so much on now. Woe is me. Woe is it today. Oh, if the disciples were in today, they couldn't do what we were called to do today. No, that's not true. They were being persecuted, put to death. Homosexuality was rampant. People were not even sure... Some of them, what their gender was, because, oh, guess what? The Romans would, you know, emasculate castrate. people. You know, castrate yeah. and emasculate them, completely removing any orientation that they had because it wasn't convenient for them to have any identity because they were supposed to be subservients to the Roman Empire. So we think that we are in such a day and age, woe is me, why me, blah, 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 who cares? You are being self-centered when you focus in that way. We have to get to the point to where we acknowledge that God is God, that he is with us no matter what's going on around us, no matter the circumstances, no matter what day and age you live in, and start realizing that he is, that he always will be, and he is to come, and that he is just as present right now as he was the moment you got saved and when he was with Christ at Calvary. Amen. No, we get so focused on ourselves and what we think and what our, how do you put it, on the dogma that we have from our reading and our teachings and our self-taught ideas that we misinterpret or misplace what the Word of God is actually saying. 
That's good, bro. He says very clear, I will never leave you. I will Mm. never forsake you, which means he never goes anywhere. He is always present. So why do we take a stance that, woe is me, my situation's too much, I don't feel him anymore? We've all done it. I don't know anyone who has not had a moment thinking to themselves, man, I just don't feel, this is such a dry time, I don't know what's going on, woe is me, pity party. What happens in that moment? You're giving in to the enemy and all of his temptations to become self-centered. It's not bad to be self-aware, but when you turn that self-awareness into a self-centeredness, that's when it's deadly. That's when it's toxic. I want to jump in right there. Yeah, go right ahead. That's good stuff, man. And, you know, I think that uh, one of the things that's important, I want to piggyback on something that you had said, um, is that when we're going through those times, it's that dry parts, man, and you start feeling that it's important that we redirect our focus on Jesus. And the, and the reason I say that is because if you look in the Gospels, there's that time where Jesus is on a boat with the disciples, and he says, we're going over to the other side. Well, um, actually, they're going over, and they encounter a storm. And I, and basically, when a storm arises, Jesus is in, you know sleeping on the boat. And he wakes, he wakes up, the disciples wake him up saying, Lord, don't you know that we're perishing? And Jesus with this sense of calm just says, peace, be still. And he shouts it. And the storm, the waves and everything calm down. Another instance, we see that the disciples are now in the boat, a storm arises. And the Bible says that Jesus comes walking to them on the sea. And you imagine that. And so the disciples are freaking out, thinking, this is a ghost. This has got to be a ghost. What, what, who is this? And Jesus lets them know it's him. And Peter starts to walk towards him on the water. And you imagine the waves and the, the sea, and he's got the wind, and he's got the rain, and he sees Jesus. And as he's focused on Christ, he begins to walk on the water. But as soon as he takes his focus off and focuses on the things around him, it's like what we're talking about, the presence. Well, he stops focusing on God and him being present in the storm, and he starts to focus on the storm itself. That's when he begins to sink. You know, and so think about this. Think, think about this. Let's just try this on for some. When he, when that happened, just before Jesus was seen, and they thought it was a ghost. What was the command that Jesus gave them? Get in the boat and go to the other side. He never said, get out of the boat and walk. He commanded them, get in the boat and go to the other side. So why did Peter ask to get out of the boat and walk? The obedience factor would have been, trust and abide in my presence, know what I told you to do. Yet he stopped, he doubted, and he needed confirmation. He asked God to prove by saying, if this be you, let me step out with you. Yeah, seriously. A lot of, in modern teachings, a lot of people teach that as, oh, that was such a great step of faith. But traditionally, this passage was not taught as a faith passage. Traditionally, this was taught as Peter was being disobedient. And he should have stayed in the boat and continued to cross and trusted the word of Jesus. 
you know, I, and I, I hear that and I can see how it can be taught that way. The reason why I think in even, even in his, I, I love that about Christ because even in his doubting, Peter still took a step out. He said, if this is you, command me to come out and I'll, I'll go. I'll come to you. He says, come. So Jesus gives him the word and Peter begins to stand on that word that Jesus gives him. And as he stood on that word and walked, he was good. He was walking on water. But as soon as he, he began to doubt and focus on everything else, he sinks. And then Jesus says to him, why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? There you go. So that's the perfect thing right there. So we see two demonstrations. One, most likely if Peter and their gang had already kept their focus, they'd have been just fine. They were seasoned fishermen. Mm-hmm. However, God demonstrated his grace as well right there. Jesus saw that he had allowed himself to give in to fear. He saw that he, his disciple had allowed himself to become focused on something other than what was correct. And he demonstrated grace. He demonstrated mercy. And then just like you just so gracefully unpacked there, then when Peter stepped out, he was able to walk on water until he took his eyes off of God, which is a perfect example of what happens when we allow our circumstances, what happens to family life, work life, business life, whatever. When those different things take our focus off of God, where it's supposed to be on God, and instead we turn them to these other things. It's not that other things don't deserve attention. It's that our primary focus should always be God. That's good. But when we allow everything else to take that primary, then we allow ourselves to begin to sink. And that sinking is almost symbolic of us pulling ourselves away from him. Go ahead. Brother, that's so good right there. I want to, this this whole deal with Peter, and we touched on something with this story. I love the fact that we're able to see Peter's later life and to see his progression. And he wasn't, he was a flawed person. And which makes him so relatable to me, and I'm sure other other people listening. But oh, he was a flawed, he was a flawed individual. You know, he still made mistakes later on in life. But we see the progression, and we see that even in a situation like that, you know, Jesus says, "Now, why did you doubt?" We see that at one moment he says, "You're the Christ, the Son of the Living God." The next moment he's saying, "You're not going to go to the cross." He's operating at one point. Under the influence of the Holy Spirit, the other point, he's operating under the influence of Satan himself, is what Jesus says. And so we see like this dichotomy in Peter. On one side he's here, on one side he's on, you know, he's, he's operating in a whole, under a whole nother influence. But later on in life, if we fast forward to the book of Acts, we see that he's arrested and he's supposed to be executed the next day. And the Bible says Peter was sleeping in prison. There you go. And I love that because what we see is Jesus told him when he resurrected, he said, Peter, when you were young, you went here, you went there. But when you're older, you're going to stretch out your hand. And he was actually signifying the way to glorify God in his death. He's going to be crucified. When you're an old man, people are going to have to take you from here to there. And so the point was, when he's in this, this prison, he's a young man still. And he had to be thinking in his mind, Jesus told me I'm going to die when I'm old. So I'm going to sleep. 
what's the point of me staying up here worrying about this thing? Jesus said, when I'm an old man, I'm going to die. Not when I'm a young man. And so you see it. He begins to trust God. He trusts God's point of, even with the threat of uh, imprisonment and even death, I'm going to trust God. And the angels come, and we know the rest of the story. They rescue him and take him out. And he thinks it's a dream the whole time. But we see, like, this progression in Peter. And then you see that later on he falls again. He he, he slips up playing the hypocrite with the, with the Jews. When the Jews were around, he acted one way. When the Gentiles were around, he acted a different way. Paul calls him out. But he was a flawed individual, and, and we begin to see that, that progression throughout his life. And um, there's one other thing I want to touch on. We talked on, on David, and I've got this scripture, and it keeps coming up. It's coming up in my spirit, and I just want to share it with you guys. Uh, just a couple of verses from Psalm 63. Uh, David, we're talking about, again, we're focusing back on this topic of uh, the presence of God, abiding in his presence, recognizing his presence. And David says, this is the NIV, you, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. In a dry and parched land where there is no water. And he's talking basically about this soul longing for God. And I think a lot of times we have that dry period that we're going through and we begin to try to fill it with other things. You know, entertainment or uh, even substances, substance abuse and all these other things when really the longing of our soul is to be in God's presence. And I, I love what my brother said. He said, brother, that, that Jesus would, when he got to that point of even exhaustion, what would he do? He'd get along, get along with God, along with the Father, and he'd become renewed in that. And I think there's, you know, like the eagles, like it says in Isaiah, you know, even the youth grow weary. Even the youth, you know, it, we come to a point to where we hit a wall and we become exhausted. And we need to not only refresh ourselves physically by getting good rest, uh, eating correctly, but there comes a point spiritually where we need to get along with God and we need to have our strength renewed. And so we need to shut ourselves in as Christ did, Christ himself leaving us an example. If he had to do it, the Son of God, how much more us? That's right. I love, though, the fact that you you kind of touched on the fact that Peter himself, He's so much like the rest of us. And the thing that sticks out the most to me about Peter is the fact that he is the one that Jesus said would be his rock, his cornerstone, that he would build his church on, or the government. I think the actual translation of the word is government. So the government of what Christ wants to do here on earth, he built on Peter, the one that looks like the most flawed individual, okay. which tells me that whomsoever God wishes to be a part of, that he wishes to save, set free, whomsoever he wishes to use for his kingdom and his glory, whomsoever will come to him, he will redeem. You know, he is not, he is not going to leave any of us orphaned. He's not going to leave any of us alone. But whomsoever comes to him, he's going to be sure to take care of, to lift up. That's good. Man. There's, we're not going to be left as orphans. He desires our our presence as much as we desire his. So remember, guys, and we're going to have to wrap it up. Yeah. Remember that 
if you are in a time that seems like you're in the middle of the desert, instead of focusing on the situation around you, begin to focus on the presence. And this was coming to my mind earlier. I think the Lord is putting this into my spirit. There are times in our lives where we're facing things. Sometimes we'll have moments where we face our sinful nature. Other times we, uh, you know, someone cuts us off and our flesh rises up and we just want to say every four-letter word we've ever heard. I mean, here's the key, guys. Are we going to focus on the situation or are we going to focus on God? It's a choice. I'm not saying it's an easy choice, but it's a choice. And the more we choose to focus on God, the easier it is to maintain that proximity to him. Yeah. The more we are aware of his presence. Mm. And any time that we are so saturated in him that it becomes normal, it's time for us to ask God to reveal a new facet of who he is, that he will, you know, be more evident in our lives, more present, that we will be more aware of that presence that's there. That's good, man. Scott, did you want to uh, leave them in a prayer, brother? Yeah, absolutely. And, and so, again, we're talking about the things that we're talking about are benefits of being in relationship with Christ, benefits of being in relationship with the King. Uh, these things, the, those who don't believe and those who have not accepted Christ, unfortunately, you're excluded from these benefits. But God in his grace has made it open to everybody. It's a free gift. And what we want to do is we want to make that free gift available to you. Um, there's no strings attached. It's a simple prayer of faith and, and reliance in Christ. And it's not that once you pray this prayer, you're, uh, you're not going to experience problems and situations that will, uh, will arise. But you can be guaranteed that you'll have this abiding presence, this, uh, very present help in the time of need, this God who has promised he'll never leave us nor forsake us. And so you'll have that rock in the midst of your storm. So um, if you would, pray this prayer with me, if you want to put your trust in Christ. You say, Father, thank you, because I believe that you sent your son. I believe that he lived a sinless life and died a sinner's death in my place because of the wrongdoing that I did, that I was deserving of. And God, I put my trust in you. I put my trust in the sacrifice that you've made available to all freely. I trust you with my life now, and I choose to leave the old behind. And I embrace you for the future that you prepared for me. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.